0: You haven't heard about the crispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try
1: it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roto World Baseball Show. I'm your host, Eric Samolski, joined by Scott Pianowski as we continue to go position by position, doing some previews ahead of the 2024 season. Uh, Scott, it's it's catcher day over here.
0: It is catcher day. So I'm going to try to give you some tips, some picks, some pans. Now, the standard Yahoo format only requires one catcher. It's a lot different than leagues that require Mm -hmm. two. So that's the first thing you kind of have to figure out. Always trying to force fantasy football comparisons. Catchers kind of like the tight end position, but where do sure. you go big? Right. But if you go big for like an Adley Rutschman, does it put you behind the eight ball at some other positions? So it's um, it's entering in some of the better players are kind of aging
1: mm-hmm.
0: as back nines of their careers. How do we feel about JT real Muto these days? Is Salvador Perez still a destination for fantasy? So um, um, if you're coming over for fantasy football, if you're trying fantasy baseball this year, this is basically your your Travis
2: Kelsey, George Kittle position, and uh, an influx of young talent like we saw at the tight end position as well this year. I think uh, the catcher position is is much maligned, obviously, um, and in that sense, sometimes I compare it to like the kicker, where people are like, "Why is this? Why is this on a in a lineup?" Right? And I think people are always talking about you know. Oh, catcher batting average isn't any good and the the offensive stats aren't good. We have to roster them, etc. Um, but I, you know, and it's not just because I was a catcher that I'm excited to talk about catchers, but um, I just think we're in an exciting time with a lot of young talent coming up. Um, and so there, there are some intriguing names here. Um, if you if this is the first episode you're listening to of our position breakdown um scott and i talked about second baseman earlier on this week and then dj and i touched on first baseman um so you should go back and listen to those podcasts as well as we continue to kind of work through all the positions um you you kind of hit on my first question before we get into our specific rankings but it's i personally feel like this is the deepest the catcher position has been in a long time do you kind of agree with that Mostly I agree
0: with that. I, I see a lot of – we talked about this at the second base position where it gets to a point where a lot of like maybe the next seven, eight, nine names on your board are going to be very interchangeable. And that's mm-hmm. where you can start waiting. Say, okay, I see four or five guys I like. It's unlikely they'll all get selected before I pick again. So you may be playing very just you're know, kind of taking it as it comes in the middle of a draft. You don't have to necessarily tackle these guys. Again, I, I talked about them being the tight ends. I mean, the catcher is the one position of, of the eight starting field positions that don't, aren't guaranteed to play every day. Even if you're a star player, we can expect that maybe you're going to get a day off every week. We have to try to figure out which catchers are, are going to get DH at bat. Some catchers may be primarily DHs in the case of a couple of guys. But um, I do – I do see, like, you know, Cal Raleigh. I think right now is my number 10 catcher, and I don't think he's that much different than Bo Naylor, who I have at 16. I think you might have me a little bit lower. You're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a mm-hmm. lot of, this guy is similar to that guy. Their ADPs are like 30 or 40 picks apart. Maybe I'll just wait for the secondary player. And so that speaks to the depth of the position. I, I think the big question you have to decide here is do you want to, shoving your chips for a Rutchman, for a real Muto, right. for Will Smith, one of the Contrerases, somebody you think could be a difference maker who could be the number one catcher. Because I don't think anybody thinks you know, Elias Diaz is going to be the number one catcher. Sure. Ryan Jeffers is going to sure. be the number one catcher. Those guys, you're hoping – again, this is how, why the tight end comp works so well. If you pick a late tight end, you're hoping that guy can be tight end nine, and that's mm-hmm. how you feel with these catchers. You're hoping – that Elias Diaz could be a top 10 catcher, could be somebody you play every week and it is a quasi set it and forget it guy, but there's only a handful of players. I think you can make a good pitch that they could be the number one catcher. So that's, you have to decide, yeah, there's a fork in the road. Do you want to prioritize position and go big with it? Or you just want to play the value game. If you want to play the value game, you're going to find a lot of reasonable alternatives.
2: Yeah. And I think that, gets to the next topic, which is the difference of a one-catcher format and a two-catcher format, right? Your, your strategy decision going in will be dependent on how many of these guys you need to roster. For me personally, as I've been digging through when I did the uh, Fantasy Baseball State of the Union for catchers, I found that if I was in a one-catcher format, I feel most comfortable waiting, Mm -hmm. um there are now you know there were 21 catchers last year with over 200 at bats who hit at least 240 which is a solid batting average um right now for 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 fantasy baseball um across the league doesn't hurt you there were 10 catchers last year who hit over 20 home runs uh seven catchers last year who hit over 70 who had over 70 rbis that was more than double what we saw in 2022 Um, five catchers last year with over 70 runs scored again that was more than double what we saw in 2022 so again these are not like um, astronomically high rates but it's just showing that there are more producers at the position than we have seen in the past and so if I only need to roster one of those guys I'm happy to take you know when you get guys like Abby Rutschman or uh, Real Muto or Will Smith or the Contreras brothers going, actually not, not both brothers and we'll get to that later. Um, But you see some of these guys going off the board. I would rather lock in another starter, take one of the top relievers, things like that, because I feel like I have a good safety valve at the bottom Um, or, you know, in that like catcher seven through 14 range that you were talking about. I'm going to be able to get my guy that I like to be my one starter in a 12 catcher league. I still think in a two catcher format, I want to make sure that I get one of the guys before I have like a little mini cliff or a drop off. Um, and we'll talk about that when we get to the rankings. I want to secure at least somebody that I feel really good about playing time or really good about like high end level stats. And then I can fill in from that like interesting glob at the bottom. Um, are you approaching similarly with one catcher and two catcher formats? Yeah, I think
0: our strategies are pretty similar there. In the one catcher format, if you don't want to go with one of the stars, you can wait so long. You can take a catcher in the last round. I think it's even possible if you're in a 10 or 12 team league, you could not draft a catcher at all and just see what materializes in April and, and work off the waiver wire. Maybe even stream catcher in some formats. You can't do that in two catcher leagues. In two catcher leagues, you're going to run the risk of having a catcher who's going to hit around 200, a catcher who isn't going to play enough. He's playing only mm-hmm. half the time where you're getting killed on the playing time. So I want to be, even if, I think in a two-catcher league, you could be one of the managers who drafted the first catcher pretty late. It's like you think of the the two-quarterback league in fantasy football, where it's like you you might wait on that first one, but then come back and be early on the second one. That's what I'll do a lot of times in a two-catcher league, where maybe I'll get the number seven, number eight, number nine catcher, something like that, but then I'm the first guy to double up at the position. You can really relax and almost any strategy is reasonable in the one catcher format. I think you mm-hmm. need to pay more attention to it in the second catcher format because they're just the bottom of the league. Not everybody who's a full-time starter is going to be fantasy viable. There'll be some guys who will actually be hurting you more when they play. Right. So you have to, that second catcher spot is something you have to have an idea when you want to do it. And even to the point where if you can be this aware of it during the draft, I know a lot of things are buzzing through your head. But I might even mark where other teams have drafted and see if they've filled that second catcher spot yet because I want to jump the line in that format.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. And we'll get to this actually coming up right now because there are a lot of also um, catcher position battles where you're kind of like, I think that guy is the starter. I'm not sure. It might be a pretty even split. And that's a pretty even split in a situation where neither guy is really overwhelmingly positive. So then you might get a third guy who comes in at some point in the season if they make a trade or if they promote a younger player. And you could be looking at a second catcher in a two-catcher format who winds up giving you, you know, 250 plate appearances um, if you wait too long. And that is certainly problematic. Um, and in particular like in draft and hold formats where you can't add people off the wire, you really need to make sure you have those at bats. And if you if you wait really long and just figure, oh, if I get like you know three catchers at the, toward the end of the draft, I can just kind of like mix and match and I can rotate guys through when people are playing well or not. If the playing time dries up for multiple of those guys, then you're just looking at dead spots um, in your lineup. Um, so we're going to get to some of the offseason moves at the catcher position before we get to our rankings. We'll wind up touching on, on some of the, the same guys. Um, the biggest move at the catcher position was Mitch Garver um, signing with the Mariners. Uh, Now, the Mariners also, we know they have Cal Raleigh. They also traded for Sebi Zavala with the Diamondbacks this year. So they brought in another catcher, which means that Garver likely isn't even the backup catcher for Seattle. He is the third catcher and the primary DH. Does that make you, generally speaking, more interested in Garver, who's battled some injury concerns in the past, or are you just concerned now that, the playing time may be an issue as they try to get, like, you know, other guys a day off in the field and put them at DH because there's really no other spot for Garbage. This is a question we have to ask ourselves with every team is what is their
0: ethos at DH? Is it a dedicated player or is it a floating holiday for, or, you know, a, a quasi day off, but you're still going to get some at bats? And I think the way Seattle has constructed their lineup. And the idea that Garver right now is projected to hit cleanup that I think they want him to get 450 or 500 at bats and they don't want him to catch either. So he's interesting to me. I, I think I might even have him ranked a little bit higher than you. I've always liked them. It's just a matter of staying healthy sometimes, but if you're DHing most of the time, that shouldn't be a big problem. We know Seattle isn't the greatest park to hit in, but you're hitting behind Julio Rodriguez. That sounds pretty good to me. I, I think their lineup is probably a plus lineup ever so slightly. Um, there are a couple of dead spots in it, but um, I, I, one of the things we love is a, somebody who's catcher eligible who doesn't catch or doesn't play there anymore. Sure. You know, last year Dalton Varsha was that guy. He's finally not a catcher in Yahoo leagues so as he was an outfielder exclusively for Toronto. Unfortunately, he didn't hit that much. You can say that maybe Arizona made the wrong, uh, maybe Arizona got it right and Toronto got it wrong. Maybe Gabriel Moreno was the catcher you really wanted, but uh, when I'm thinking this year, who is the non-catcher catcher that I want to target or at least quasi-target? I think Garv is that guy.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I will say I looked up uh, on Baseball Reference, looked at um, Seattle's DH uh, allocation last year. Um, Mike Ford uh, was their primary DH with 67 games started at DH. They did start Teoscar Hernandez 28 games at DH and A.J. Pollock 26 games at DH, so that does speak to some rotating the outfielders through. Um, but also you need to look at the Mariners' depth chart right now um, and, you know, they, they've they had some turnover in their lineup, and it's not entirely clear. There doesn't seem to be guys who aren't in the starting lineup who would, like, really push to, like, need to be in the lineup. Um, the other thing, my minor concern is, like, a guy like Mitch Haniger, who the Mariners now have back again, has also battled injuries, and they may decide, you know, having him get regular starts at DH could be beneficial for him so that he's not risking injury. Um, so... Those are my minor concerns about Garver, but I agree with you um, that, you know, he is a powerful impact bat who's going to get a lot of at-bats and probably more at-bats than if he were part of a, a catcher rotation. Um, another off move was Martin Maldonado uh, not coming back to the Houston Astros, which seemed to open up uh, the everyday starting job for Yainer Diaz. We can talk about Yainer Diaz as a player later Um but I'm just curious your opinion. The Astros also brought in Victor Carantini as a backup catcher. Do you think that like the Yiner Diaz playing time situation at least is vastly different than what we saw last year, or do you think they're still going to kind of mix and match because he has some defensive questions?
0: Yeah, I think he gets a mild bump in playing time. He he gets 104 games last year, 355 at bats. They let Maldonado go, uh, who's a better defender, but. Every team – again, this has really changed. It used to be the, the number one catchers in the major leagues would catch 140, 145, mm-hmm. 150 games. You know, J- J- Johnny Bench's entire career, which was basically a decade of strong relevance, was catching like 153 games a year. His sparky wouldn't give him days off. You know, Pudge Rodriguez caught ridiculous amounts of game games in that Texas heat. I, I don't know how he did that and didn't have a major breakdown. But mm-hmm. even the teams that have a catcher they like with a couple, just a couple of exceptions – are thinking, okay, four and three, five and two, there's going to be some kind of split here. Um, if I can tell myself a story that Diaz plays 115 or 120 games somewhere, and, and last year he did pick up a lot of DH at bats, right? Um, I think that makes him a, a target for me because he's got power and he can hit for a plus average, which you don't get. You get a lot of power at this position, but a lot of these guys are going to hit 230, 235. They can maybe get closer to 215 and, and you have to wonder if you could roster that and how you make it up elsewhere. I, I think Diaz is arrow pointed up age 25 season. They brought Caratini and he, he's going to play like probably 65 or 70 games, but that doesn't get me away from Diaz at all.
2: Yeah. Your point about the, the not playing as many games, I think is also interesting to note heading into this year. We'll, we need to see how teams react to the major stolen base uptick last year. Um, and whether teams who have a clear, better defensive catcher decide that maybe controlling the running game is more important and decide to give more run to catchers who um, who control the running game better. We did see, like last year, some teams made quick moves, too. Like the Red Sox were starting Reese McGuire at the start of the year, and he allowed like the first 14 um, stolen base attempts were successful. And they almost immediately went to Connor Wong, who is much better defensively. Um, and so we may some, we may see some teams kind of start to do that this season as well. Uh, some teams have gone out and gotten better defensive second catchers and may start to rotate in. So that is something to keep an eye on in the you know playing time sense in the early uh, part of the year. And, and you uh, make a great point that I think the last maybe five or ten years, all teams cared about is.
0: Does the catcher frame well? Does he set a good target? Is he somebody that pitchers are comfortable working with? And those are always going to be important things. But we got to a point where the stolen base was such a non-sabermetrically friendly thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, why why do we need to be on second base? We're just trying to get guys on base and hit home runs anyway. And last year with the rule change and with the spike in stolen bases, now teams have to ask themselves – can our catcher throw? Are we just giving away second base because teams right. are going to take it now in a way that they didn't do it five or ten years ago? So, in catcher, more than any other position, shortstop's close, but but in center field is has some of this too. But the most important defensive positions, as everybody knows, the defensive spectrum—it's all up the middle—and how you you need to know any catcher you draft, you need to know what is his defensive ability and how does it affect his playing time that's something you have to generally speaking defense doesn't matter that much for fantasy but we have to sprinkle in a little bit you know do you, you know Aaron Nola sometimes is not a fun fantasy pick because the Phillies generally don't they have like a softball sure. team on defense right they have a they have four DHS who are playing and, and you just have to live with okay well they'll catch whatever they catch but um you do have to consider defense in some elements and, and catcher Has always been a position where that's true. But as you mentioned, just with the change in the flow of the game and with stolen bases making the expected big spike last year that I think people saw coming, now what's going to be the reaction to it? How are organizations going to respond Mm -hmm. and and how is it going to break down playing time? And maybe if you have a catcher who can hit who is really a weakness defensively, maybe those guys get more DH time or maybe they become – Timeshare guys, 50-50 guys, when in the old days you might catch that guy 75% of the time because his throwing problems really weren't exploited by opponents.
2: Yeah. And just as a a note on that, we talked about Victor Caratini was kind of what led to that. Victor Caratini, according to the StatCast leaderboard, they have catcher um, caught stealing above average. So like how, you know, where catchers rank in terms of their caught stealing percentage at second base specifically. Uh, Caratini was eighth worst in baseball last year with a minus three. Um, He had a caught stealing percentage of just 10%. So that would not seemingly not be a reason to take Jainer Diaz out behind the plate. Um, to put Caratini in uh, some of the other guys on the bottom of the leaderboard: Kybert Ruiz, Yasmani Grandal, Ryan Jeffers, Travis Darno, uh, Kyle Higashioka. Um, so just you know, noting on some guys who who struggled last year. Higashioka himself um, was part of the Juan Soto trade, uh, and he left the Yankees uh, to go to San Diego, where he will now presumably back up Luis Camposano, Uh, In your opinion, does that open up catcher for Austin Wells in New York? Uh, People seemingly are anointing him as the starting catcher, but Jose Trevino is still there and was an all-star two years ago. Um, Neither one of these guys made our top 20, so I do just want to kind of bring it up here. If you had to throw a dart at one of those two, who do you feel more comfortable suggesting will start as the Yankees catcher? Yeah, I guess I don't know that Wells has a leg up on Trevino, but
0: the fact that he's just gonna—he's a younger player. He's got the upside of the unknown. He's a little bit of a rated prospect, even though I don't—I don't think his minor league profile has jumped out at me. I would just see when you would draft a player like this, you're, all you're thinking about is what is the ceiling, and if early on he gets off to a poor start, or he's not playing enough, you just cut him and you move on to somebody else. So mm-hmm. that's the upside play here, but. This is not a proactive pick for me, and it's so strange. I know they have Aaron Judge, and I know they just got Soto, who's, who's going to be an OBP monster. But for most of my fantasy time playing, the Yankees have been the, like one of the ultimate destination offenses and deep lineup and, and a good place to hit. And They always had a lot of OBP guys. They worked the count. They hit a, a bunch of home runs. They obviously had, had a run where they were in the World Series. It felt like every year for like a 10-year period. Now I just think they're just another playoff contender, an interesting team. I, I don't think they're a primary World Series favorite. I think they're more of a right. secondary favorite. And so it's a long way of saying anybody in their lineup I was interested in you know, five or ten years ago, 15 years ago, I don't feel that way about them anymore. So Wells will probably, in the leagues I play in, he'll have to hit his way off the waiver wire to to find his way into my plans. If I had to pick somebody of these two guys, he'd be the guy, mm-hmm. but I'm making him a proactive target.
2: Yeah. Uh, what about Rene Pinto? Um, so Rene Pinto is the new starting catcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. Just yesterday, actually, Rays manager Kevin Cash said the team is going to, quote, lean heavily um, on Pinto. So we talked about playing time obviously being important. It seems that Pinto will get playing time. Um, he hit 252 last year with six home runs in just 39 games for the Rays. However, Uh, And he had a 15.9% barrel rate, so all of that is great. However, he had just a 1.9% walk rate, a 32.4% strikeout rate, um, and a 18.6% swing strike rate, which is well above league average. Um, So I feel like that 252 batting average uh, is a mirage. Uh, You're looking at probably a... A pretty much a full time catcher with decent pop, given that fifteen point nine percent barrel rate, but a major strikeout issue. Is is this interesting to you at all? I mean, he's again not in our top twenty, which is why I wanted to bring him up. Like in a two catcher format, are you intrigued by him because we we at least have some playing time security? I'm just worried he doesn't have the floor.
0: When you, you talked about he just he doesn't take walks, and that's not completely unusual at this position. It's not like these a lot of players here are OBP giants. And even some of them who are like Yasmani Grandal, they haven't had fantasy value in a few seasons. Generally speaking, I like to bet on what the Rays are betting on, but I'm just I don't think I don't think there's a floor here. And Mm -hmm. and that in a two catcher league, I want my second catcher to have at least a little bit of floor. Again, I talked about being willing to address that catcher two slot before most of the managers in my league. So I don't think Pinto fits into what will be my more common build in that format
2: i i tend to agree with you on that um in a draft and hold i don't mind taking him as maybe like a i don't even want to say second maybe a third guy but like just in case uh but i wouldn't want to rely on it um last i'm going to list a couple of the last kind of movers the new the new position sorry the new teams just let me know if you think any of these matter to you at all, or it's just a big like shoulder shrug in terms of fantasy value. You mentioned Yasmani Grandal. He has signed with the Pirates on a one-year deal, uh, presumably battling uh, prospect Henry Davis, who is now being moved back to catcher. So one of those two guys should emerge with the Pirates. Uh, Christian Bethencourt, who was with uh, the Rays, is now in Miami. Um, and I guess he's battling Nick Fortes for the starting job with the Marlins. Uh, Max Stassi. Uh, has signed with the Chicago White Sox, where also Martin Maldonado signed. Uh, so one of those two guys uh, is presumably going to emerge as the starter with for the White Sox. Do any of those names I just mentioned actually matter to you for fantasy, or are you pretty much ignoring them outside of the deepest types of leagues? I'm curious if you have an angle here because
0: I, I see a whole bunch of nothing with these guys. Stassi actually was a pretty good hitter the two previous years before last year, but then it's just hard to unsee a 180 average, right? I mean, I, I know his career average is a lot higher than that, but or at least a little bit higher than that, but um, maybe it just turns into a 50-50 timeshare. Plus the White Sox, I believed in the White Sox offense so many years as, as bounce-back mm-hmm. offense, as an offense on the rise. I've just given up on that and just accepted that Eli Jimenez is never going to be the guy I think he's going to be. And Juan Moncada is never going to be the guy I think he's going to be. And this is just maybe just a 68 win team.
2: Is there somebody in the group that you mentioned that you like as a late round target? No, not really. I, you know, I I think it's the same kind of like uh, I would prefer not to roster any of these guys. If I had to, Um, I'm intrigued at least that Nick Fortes uh, doesn't, really strike out Mm -hmm. however he saw a massive dip in barrel rate last year i was more intrigued by him coming into last year because it looked like he didn't strike out and he hit the ball kind of hard um and he did not hit the ball hard at all last year um i kind of fizzled on christian bethencourt um i'm rooting for for stassi as you mentioned uh he didn't play at all last year because um he and his wife were going through a personal issue where they um their baby was born like three months premature and was in the, you know, the NICU for months and months. And he basically stepped away from baseball to take care of that. Um, So those poor stats that were from 2022 where he got 102 games with the angels. um, He's now going to be 33. Um, I'm listen, I'm rooting for him because of, all, what he went through and also the fact that the Angels put him on the restricted list so they didn't have to pay him last year while he was going through all of that so like I would like him to succeed because um I think it would be a, a good story I I'm just like him Martin Maldonado I I don't I don't get excited by by any of that um and as you mentioned Yasmati Grandal hasn't uh really been impactful in a while I think if anything the news is that kind of you know, hurts the Henry Davis fantasy value. People thought he was going to get catcher eligibility really quick because he was primarily an outfielder last year, but there were concerns about him defensively as a catcher. And now they brought in a veteran catcher right at the start of spring training, which speaks to potentially continued concerns about him defensively behind the plate. So who knows how often he catches, who knows when he gets catcher eligibility in particular in deeper formats where he needs like 20 games to pick up catcher eligibility. Um, that could take a while in a yahoo format where you're looking at five um, I think that's a little bit more viable but again that's not a one catcher league target um, so yeah I I don't love any of these guys
0: yeah I'm glad you cleaned up Stassi not playing last year I, I've just blocked that from my memory and as you said he you outline a narrative for him where it's easy to root for him and I will do that and if maybe, maybe if him or Maldonado, if one of them became the two thirds playing time guy in Chicago, I, I guess you could lean into that for fantasy. I'll just say one thing about Grandall. He's always had the great walk rate, and generally that's good, right? We want guys to work the count and, and to get a good pitch to hit. But sometimes I wonder if some players are too patient and they take yes. the best pitches that they take early in the count to hit. They're not swinging at, they're not offering at. Maybe they're just working the count, they'll work the count. When I would say, okay, Maybe the best pitch you're getting is the first or second pitch. Why don't you look to attack those pitches? I wonder if pitches are pitchers are exploiting Grandal's patience to a detriment to his game.
2: Yeah, I, I would fully agree with that. You know, also he's going to be a 36 year or 35, sorry, year old catcher with some injury concerns behind him. Um, but yeah, in a, in a two catcher or a deeper format, if he gets regular playing time, um, I'm intrigued at least. Uh, we are going to move to catchers we are far more invested in. But before we do that, the countdown to spring training is on. Pitchers and catchers have reported. So for those looking to get a head start on the upcoming MLB season, grab your Roto World Baseball Draft Guide. It's loaded with comprehensive positional rankings, projections, player profiles to ensure your draft is a success. Visit NBCSports.com slash draftguide. And use code BASEBALL24 to get 10% off at checkout. That's NBCSports.com slash guide. And use code BASEBALL24 to get 10% off at checkout. You haven't
0: heard about the McCrispy yet? Well, then you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to
1: hear the best not sound you've ever heard.
2: Uh, so we're going to dive into our rankings now. Uh, we're going to start from the bottom as we normally do. We're kind of in reverse order. In reverse order. Uh, so Scott, your catchers ranked 13 through 20, starting with your your 20th. Who are they?
0: Yeah, Tyler Stevenson is my 20. Uh, that's PH on Stevenson. Of course, I really liked him into last season. Thought he'd get a lot of those non-catcher at bats, and I don't feel that confident about that anymore because the Reds haven't. Gutted offense, we talked about that in our earlier episode. So he's been a tumbler, but still did crack my top 20. Ryan Jeffers, 19. Luis Camposano, who was really good, but in a limited sample for the Padres. It's hard to know what to do with guys like that sometimes. Elias Diaz at 17. Colorado, no longer the Disneyland it used to be because the lineup just isn't that deep. But Diaz at least offers floor because he'll play, and I think he'll have a safe average and, and decent production. I don't think it's going to be great. Bo Nealer is one of several players. He's my 16 catcher who offer power at this position, but you might have to manage your average. Kybert Ruiz, a little bit of post-hype. Glean on him, my 15 catcher. Logan Ohappy. last year injuries popped up. There's still a very interesting upside. I know if DJ Short was here, he'd be talking up Ohapi. He's been a big fan of his for a while. And Mitch Garver at 13, we mentioned he could be one of those catcher eligibles. He gets a lot of DH at bats. Mm -hmm. And a two-catcher league, I think Mitch Garver would be a perfect target for your number two guy.
2: Yeah, I joined you with uh, Tyler Stevenson um, as my number 20. I think we kind of took the same general philosophy with our number 19 of guys who can hit and are in timeshares and may get DH at bats. Uh, You went with Ryan Jeffers. I went with uh, Danny Jansen. Um, my number eighteen is Bo Naylor, who you mentioned. My number seventeen is Shea Langoliers, who did not make your list, so we'll talk about that. Uh, my number sixteen is Luis Camposano, uh, for the Padres. I put Garver at fifteen, uh, but I'm similarly interested in him based on what we already talked about with his um his offensive upside and the fact that he'll DH. I have Jonah Heim, his former teammate, at fourteen, um, and then I put Kybert Ruiz at thirteen and you had him at 15 um so we're we're pretty close on that um i guess let's start with uh let's start with Danny Jansen cuz i'm intrigued by him i think obviously you're open to hey this is a good offensive catcher hey he's in a timeshare um and he you know may lose some at bats that's kind of the ryan jeffers danny jansen profile i do like jeffers Um, I've always just been a fan of what Danny Jansen's been able to do when he's on the field. I don't necessarily think that the bench for the blue Jays is particularly deep right now. Um, And I know Justin Turner is slotted in as their regular DH, but you know, you're also starting Davis Schneider at second Kevin Biggio at third. Like I think there could be opportunities where Justin Turner is playing the field and Jansen can DH in addition to the games that he's catching. Um, were you did you just prefer Jeffers to Jansen or are you sour on Danny Jansen
0: no i honestly I, if we were drafting together and you wanted to make the case that Jansen had a better upside could be somebody who could move up 8 to 10 slots on this list which i don't think Jeffers fits that profile but Jansen yeah. does It's just it's a matter of he's always had the power you know, he's somebody who slugged you know between the last two years his slugging percentage has been about 490 or so he slugged 473 of the season before that doesn't score a lot of runs like most catchers. He doesn't run. I always feel like they, you know, Kirk is going to play catcher some. I always feel like there's a team that's it's gonna it's gonna be a pretty even timeshare with their catchers. Mm-hmm. But what if Kirk got hurt or got in a slump, or what if Jansen got off to a, a really good start and they decided to commit to him as a two-thirds player? he's still in his 20s that's possible and I know Toronto's offense was disappointing last year they had the dimension changes I think we all thought that was going to be really good for the offense and it turns out it it kind of turned into a pitching park but I see enough depth there's enough length in this lineup that this is a a team that I want to and we we talked about in the second base preview we we had a bunch of inexpensive Blue Jays that we were targeting right Turner was one of those guys Um, this this is an offense that Late in drafts, I could see a lot of plausible upside to guys. So I, I think actually when I redo my catcher rankings, I may be putting Jansen in my top 20. I think you won this debate.
2: Yes, without even having to say much. No, yeah, not to say much at all. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'll win the next one because I have my own hesitations. Um, but talk to me about why Shea Langoliers didn't make your list at all. Just the, the puny batting average, the big park, the lineup that is –
0: what two or three deep it feels like at times. Mm. Um, I, I also wonder, I, and maybe this is silly to say this, but just where, where the team is at where we don't know where they're going to be playing. It seems like Oakland is dead, but Vegas isn't a perfect destination for them to go to. I, I just wonder if that stench might kind of hang over the team or maybe it's the smell from the dugout. We know they've had problems with that too, but, but for the most part, just look at a lineup that has no depth a park that i don't know if you've ever gone to a game in oakland but you were so far from the action man the game is like a rumor and maybe i've been spoiled because i grew up on fenway park and i've been to Wrigley field where it's like you're so close to the action those games you you feel like you need a glove but in oakland you just so it's obviously a football stadium that they made into a baseball stadium i'd love to see oakland get that figured out get a new park but i'm just afraid langleyers might hit 205
2: yeah i i hear you on that i think what what intrigues me is uh I feel comfortable about the playing time, which I can't say with some of the other guys. He had 490 plate appearances last year. I think, you know, giving him the mid 400s again um, feels relatively safe. Uh, He's 26 years old. He was one of their top prospects. I think they're planning to, you know, continue to play him. Um, We have seen some growth at level from him before. uh, When he was with Atlanta before the trade, he struggled. little bit in double a and struggled with his first taste of triple a and then when he came to oakland in 2022 he did much better um in triple a uh so there's a chance that we could see that kind of growth after you know hitting just 205 um last year in oakland he did it 22 home runs um he does sport a 13.3 percent barrel rate last year so the hard contact is is definitely there um his performance got better as the year went on um i'm using the uh pitcher list rolling grafts they have a rolling graft on strike zone judgment which you know breaks down just kind of like what they refer to as ball strike correctness just taking pitches that are balls and swinging at pitches that are strikes um and he got like in incrementally better and then kind of like really jumped into like the 75th to 80th percentile in baseball in towards the end of the season in terms of his strike zone judgment which even though his contact ability remained kind of like iffy, makes me think that maybe there's some growth. And with that kind of power, I'm looking for him to hit 220 to 230. I'm not looking for him to be a batting average asset. And I think it depends on your build when you're drafting somebody like like Langoliers. Is if I can pencil him in for 220 and get 20, 25 home runs – I think that there is some value there given the fact that he's a good bet to, you know, hit, to have 450 plate appearances which I don't see from some of the other guys on our both of our lists.
0: Fair. I mean, he's probably right right now fifth in uh, the lineup as they set up entering spring training, but again, it's just I mean, the guys behind him just can't hit. Yeah. I just worried there's going to be no lineup buoyancy here, but you mentioned I mean, look it, the improving strike zone judgment he's into an age 26 season if he hit 27 28 30 home runs i think that's that's perfectly in play. I, I just again I, he's not going to hit for a plus average but you're going to accept a negative average from a lot of these guys anyway
2: yeah um luis camposano made it to both of our lists he is presumably the starting catcher for the padres now that uh, gary sanchez is gone um did he make your list just on the basis of, hey, this is a starting catcher? Or do you actually see things in Camposano's profile that you are intrigued by?
0: It's just hard to know what to make of a guy who plays a third of a season. you know, 319, 356, 491 slash, that's too good to be true. Yeah, Those are all-star rate numbers. But he had almost no major league experience before that. The Padres, even without Soto, and they've talked about maybe looking to shed payroll somewhere else. I mean, they've read all in, they, they wanted to win a championship and, you know, there's obviously been an ownership change and all that, but um, I still think this can be a plus lineup. I just don't know when somebody is as good as he was last year in a, in a small sample, kind of out of nowhere. I never thought of him as a big prospect guy. It's, it's hard to know how seriously to take that. And I have a feeling that you come the middle of May, I might be like, yeah, I had this guy 10 slots too high or 10 slots too low. I think he's gonna, I think he's a high variance player. But maybe there's signature significance to somebody posting a 134 OPS plus in almost 200 bats.
2: Yeah, and there are people that have been in on Camposano in the past um, and kind of believed in that offensive value and the defense needed to improve, in particular like his his pitch calling needed to improve. Um, and so I, I'm yeah I'm intrigued enough that I think that there could be a little bit of like post hype um, breakout here. Uh, I also noticed that Bo Naylor made both of our lists um, he is intriguing as kind of like a, a mini power speed um, asset that you know you don't see a lot of guys that can steal bases and hit decent home runs um, at the catcher position in just 67 games last year for the Guardians he hit 11 home runs he stole five bases um, he hit 237 though he has registered higher batting averages in the minor leagues uh, I'm preparing an article right now for the online draft guide which you can read in full if you sign up for the roto world online draft guide um but this is kind of highlighting players who have strong patience and power so guys who don't chase out of the zone but guys who then make authoritative contact when they do swing at pitches um and Bo Naylor actually showed up on that list because um, he has an 8.2 percent barrel rate which is Slightly above league average, uh, but last year he did. He swung and he had a swing and strike rate of just eight point four percent. He uh, had an O swing, so uh, swinging out of the zone, a chase rate, if you will, of twenty five percent. Those are all above league average. Um, I think that that kind of suggests better plate discipline, which should have a higher batting average. Somebody who doesn't swing and miss, somebody who doesn't make bad decisions. Um, if he is league average at barrel rate that is above average for catcher because catcher as a position tends to not have um, guys who are making consistent uh, having consistently high barrel rates because remember barrel rates also require the appropriate launch angle so it's not just hitting the ball hard Um, and he is a prospect of note so you know i see some a lot of the projection systems interestingly are giving him like Almost 200 more plate appearances, but basically the same home run total and stolen base total. And so I'm not entirely sure why that would be the case. Um, he hit 24 home runs across, you know, his his AAA and major league stats last year. So I don't think it'd be a shock for him to be a 17, 18, 19 home run guy who could push, you know, seven, eight, nine stolen bases. Um, and I think they're going to play him regularly. So I am I may actually even be too low in my own rankings on Bo Naylor having him 18th. I accept all the pro cases you set up for Naylor. The
0: thing I want to figure out is how is he going to do against lefties and are they going to steer him away from left-handed pitching? So last year he only gets 46 at-bats against lefties, 217, 294, 370 slash. So you can look at that as like, well – to just give it up on the idea that he can hit lefties or maybe he can. I always feel like if you give somebody more playing time in the platoon deficit, it gives them a chance to grow. I'm not sure if the Guardians view themselves necessarily as a major contender this year. We know it's not mm-hmm. a very strong division, so maybe you can't give up on the season. Of course, they have a very deep pitching staff, at least on paper. if People can stay healthy. But uh, that's for Naylor to jump a level for me. I need to know either he can hit lefties better when he does play or he hits them well enough that he becomes a 450 or 500 at-bat guy versus maybe the 375 at-bat player that I view him as right now.
2: Yeah, all, all totally fair. Uh, last kind of like young catcher on the rise that we both have in this section um, is Kybert Ruiz. He'll be just 25 this year. He was kind of one of the top prospects um, coming over from the Dodgers to the Nationals in um, the Scherzer deal. Um and it didn't really work out in 2021 or sorry, in 2022, um, you know, he hit 251. He is a, a left-handed hitter, and I do think uh he benefited from the banning of the shift. There are just some metrics on stat cast that suggest his batting average on balls in play against the shift and not was slightly um impacted, but he's always been a, a plus batting average asset, was kind of hit the scouting report on him. Um hit two sixty, had just a ten point three percent strikeout rate. Um 18 home runs, stole one base, so he's not going to get you anything in, in speed. But I feel like maybe we both agree that, you know, if you are looking for a batting average boost or buffer or just solid batting average with some decent and not great power, like Ruiz is kind of not a bad option in a, as you maybe if you waited to the last rounds in a one catcher format.
0: Yeah, I know some people might scoff at first half, second half splits, but to me, it's like, well, why was a change? Was there a difference in approach? Was somebody healthy? Is it a player like Ruiz who's always had a pedigree? As you mentioned, he, he was the one of the signature players they got back in the Scherzer and Trey Turner trade, and I, I think they really need Ruiz to show something because I, I don't think Josias Gray is going to justify that deal. It, I, I've realized that Scherzer and Turner were rentals, but still, it doesn't feel like Washington did all that well yeah. in that trade. I think they did much better in the Juan Soto trade, but 300 342 467 for ruiz in the second half with with nine homers in 60 games i don't hate washington's lineup you know i mean last year lean thomas stepped up became a decent player i think ruiz his upside is maybe an all-star catcher he's a little bit of a post type sleeper he's actually a target player for me outside the top 10
2: yeah I, i'm fully on board with that Uh I I think he's going a little bit undervalued. Um, He's not as exciting as some of the other kind of like young uh, second year or third year rookie or rookie even Lear guys at the position that we both have in our top 12. Um, So who are your top 12 catchers? Francisco Alvarez,
0: who remember he was just 21 last year. His defense was actually a little bit better than expected, although he wasn't a great thrower. And we talked about teams maybe taking that more seriously, but The power is here. I think the average eventually is going to come around. So I have him at 12. But if somebody wanted to more proactively rank him or draft him, I would understand. Jonah Heim, my number 11 catcher, even with Corey Seager, maybe not ready to go for the start of the season. I think the depth of this Texas lineup is really exciting, especially with some of the younger players they have. They're going to be really good again. And and Jonah Heim's going to be batting in the middle of that lineup. I don't know what to do with Cal Rowley. He's going to hit a bunch of home runs, but I think he also might hit 207. They have other catching options if they want to move away from him, although I think he does profile positively on defense. So he's probably not something I'm going to draft, but I can see why he has to be a top 10 catcher, and he is my number 10 catcher. Can Gabriel Moreno show some power, right? He had four home runs in the playoffs. He had a slugging percentage spike in the second half. We know he's one of the few catchers he's probably going to hit for a plus average, so. I think he's an interesting guy because I see growth potential here. Sal Perez is probably the year I stopped drafting him. He had OPS plus under a hundred last year. He's caught so many games. I I just worry that I'd rather be a year early than a year late on Perez. I think you might have him a little bit higher uh, than I do. So maybe we can discuss him. Sean Murphy, nothing went right for him the second half of the year and he lost a lot of playing time, but he's still the catcher they want more often than not on the field. It's the deepest line in in baseball. I, I can't, Go too low on Murphy. We talked about Yainer Diaz. Is he how much more playing time does he get this year with Maldonado out? Hit for a plus average last year. They gave him DH at bats, which which probably are going to go to other people this year. But I think they'll find 400 plus at bats for him. will hit 20 home runs, probably hit for a decent average as well. The Contreras brothers: Wilson at five, classic story. Big contract, struggles early. People are worried about his defense. Oh my God, did we make a mistake? Well, Wilson Contreras was smacking the ball in the second half he's fine I think he's a great target this year Willem Contreras number four I, I again just a, a guy who can hit and he's better maybe better defensively than anybody expected he would be so uh, the Brewers not necessarily the team that they've been the last few years they, they're kind of having a teardown they felt they had the Trey Corbin burns but Contreras will be in the middle of what I still think will be at least a league average lineup maybe a little bit better than that will Smith at three. Dodgers speaks for itself. I I think people thought Will Smith was going to be a superstar, and it seems like he's turned into maybe just a good player. But anything in the middle of the Dodgers line looks pretty good to me. I think I'm kind of done drafting JT Real Muto. He took a hit in a lot of his metrics last year. OPS plus was his weakest, and I think six or seven seasons. And because he's had such heavy volume, I'm just a little bit nervous at this a risk here. And and he still his ADP is still in the top seventy everywhere. So. Good player. I, I just think with him being in his 30s, I'm probably done viewing him proactively. And then I'm in love with Adley Rettman. We talked about the Orioles before we hit record on this podcast. I think this team is one of the primary World Series favorites. I think Rettman's going to win an MVP someday. I think he's the player we thought Matt Weiders was going to be. Weiders had a fine career, but he mm-hmm. never really was a star. Adley Rettman is a star right now, and he's going to get better
2: uh fully agree we will you'll see you'll see where he is on my rankings as well um i had gabriel moreno 12th um i kind of view him and kybert ruiz relatively similarly in terms of like they will give you plus batting average um moreno has more speed slightly uh and i think ruiz has more power um but that's why i have moreno 12th francisco alvarez is my 11th ranked catcher um love the power uh, I have some concerns about the batting average, um, and as you mentioned, some of the the defensive metrics where he wasn't really impactful as um, as a thrower in terms of controlling the running game may have the Mets kind of work in some other catchers. Um, I have Logan Ohapi tenth. Uh, I really like him. There's a chance for me that he like could jump even to like seven or eight um, on this list. I just think that he battled some injuries last year, but makes a lot of authoritative contact, and I think he's got a long runway of playing time. Uh, Cal Raleigh ninth Cal Raleigh and Francisco Alvarez to me have like similar profiles where you're going to get a lot of power um, and a pretty minimal batting average. I've just seen Raleigh do it in multiple years in terms of leading the position at home runs. So I give him the edge over, over Alvarez for that at Sean Murphy at eight. Um, I don't think he's going to pl- uh, platoon as much with Darno as we saw last year. And he was really good with the bat Uh, Yiner Diaz at seven. Um, I do like Yannard Diaz. I think he's going to get a lot more playing time. I do have some not batting average concerns that he's going to sport a bad batting average, but I think the 280 mark last year was a little bit elevated given how often he loves to swing out of the zone. Um, He had an eighth percentile chase rate. He swings out of the zone almost 50% of the time, Um, and so I think that that's something that can be exposed. Uh, Salvador Perez at 6 uh, I also have Wilson Contreras and William Contreras back to back. Wilson at five, William at four. Um, I Wilson Contreras has always been one of my favorite draft targets that will continue this year. I think he's just underrated. Um, you know, you can get him just super late in drafts for a guy who does a little bit of everything and and will you know hit in what I believe is a, a better Cardinals lineup just because a lot of those guys had down years and the team was kind of just like in the dumps. Uh, will Smith at three, JTL Real Muto at two, and Adley Rutschman for me also um, at one. So you mentioned Salvador Perez. We can jump in there. I have him six. You have him eight. So we're not, like, you know, hugely uh, different on them here. For me, it's a matter of I understand the the concerns about, you know, how many games he's caught, the fact that his body will, you know, start to break down at some point at age 33. Um it ha- it hasn't really happened yet. Um, you know, he missed some games in 2022, but he had 580 plate appearances last year, still hit 23 home runs, 255 batting average. I mean, he has just always kind of been a 250 to 260 hitter who will hit you, you know, 25 plus home runs. Uh, I don't believe, you know, the 48 in 2021, I think that's kind of like a Vladimir Guerrero junior type of like illusion where we're not getting to that again, but there is consistent power. Um, he hits in the middle of the Royals lineup. There aren't really many catchers who hit like cleanup, uh, in terms of, you know, RBI totals. So for me, like, yes, I, I fully understand that at some point we might see the cliff, um, I guess I'm not ready to believe that it's now. And I think that the Royals are positioned to still continue to let him DH or play first base um, if they want to get Freddie Fermin in the lineup. So I think that there are still ways for them to limit the like wear and tear on Perez's body while still allowing him to get 500 plus plate appearances. And so I, I think even though he's a zero in speed, he is as good of a four-category contri- contributor as you're going to get outside of you know the top five that we both have pretty consistently ranked. So here's my pushback on that. Uh,
0: for for one thing, I think he's actually quietly a liability and run scored for a guy who plays as much as he does. Even some of these years where he was playing 140, 150 games, his run scored would be 52, 57. Mm-hmm. Last year he only scored 59 runs in 140 games, and that's a lot of that is on the people who are heading behind him. We often talk with young players that their progress, their improvement is not always linear, and it's kind of a, a fool's errand to think that it would be. But player decline is almost always linear, And if you look at the OPS pluses of Perez, and this is a little bit unfair because he had such a monster season in 21. As you said, that's never happening again. I don't want to hold that against him. But his OPS pluses the last four years, 159, 128, 110, and then last year it dipped to 94, which meant he was worse than a league average offensive player. I'm just afraid into an age 34 season, the way he's been used, just the workload has piled up the lineup behind him is so bad. I mean, I think he could easily score like 45 runs or something like that. He only had 48 runs in 2022. In, and in because he actually did get suffer an injury that year. I, I don't, I don't think you're getting as many runs as you think he's only hit 23 home runs the last two years. One of them was a truncated season, but I just think the story is going in the wrong way. Back nine lineup. I don't like, um, I think if you draft him, you'd be thrilled if he did what he did last year, and I, I think he, there's a decent chance that he could maybe lose another ten or fifteen percent, because again, again, the back nines of, of careers they are linear; they do tend to decrease or the, the balloon deflates at a pretty consistent rate. And I think we're in the deflation years for Perez.
2: Yeah, that that's fair. And you know, looking at the the run total, I I put him over Yainer Diaz, kind of like. Late, uh, because again, of my concerns with Yainer Diaz is, you know, decisions at the plate. Uh, I wrote an article on plate decision metrics, which looked at like in zone um, swing decisions and out of zone swing decisions. Um, And Yainer Diaz has some of the worst worst plate uh, swing decisions, worst plate discipline in baseball um and so that concerns me a, a little bit uh but i think your points are valid like we know we're getting nothing in steals from perez if we're getting a negative in runs you're basically looking at two guys who will sport in my opinion batting averages around 260 with plus power but diaz is in a better lineup um and diaz is on the ascent whereas perez is on the descent um and so i could see flipping them Um, I might still keep uh, Perez over Sean Murphy in my rankings, primarily just because um, I think the Braves are pretty good at at mixing and matching their lineups, and I I think they will give Murphy days off more than I think the Royals will give um, Perez days off. So I'm probably going to get more plate appearances from Salvador Perez, but that's kind of uh, close to me. Let me Uh, mention one other thing, too. I
0: I don't understand this at all, but Wilson Contreras right now has... An ADP that's like forty slots lower in Yahoo leagues. Now people just started drafting. I don't know how reliable the ADP is yet. I don't know if it really has enough roots to take all that seriously. Do not if you're in any kind of a draft where you think you can get Wilson Contreras after Salvador Perez, I want you to take that as you know as off as you can get it. Uh, right now, six, 7, 8, 10. Contreras is a number eleven or number twelve catcher off the Yahoo board. He should be a top five guy. Again, he went to St. Louis. He pressed. He Defense wasn't great, and he kind of became a scapegoat of the team's early struggles. And then the second half, he, he was just a monster the way he usually is. I mean, he, he he settled down. It's a plus lineup. I do know he's in his 30s too, but uh, you know, career on base percentage of 350, career slugging percentage of 461. His OPS plus is probably going to be in the 120s. If, if you get nothing else out of this show from what I offered today, just go draft Wilson Contreras. You'll be happy you did.
2: I was literally going to make the same point to you where I was talking about the guys that we just discussed and how they're going ahead of Wilson Contreras right now in NFBC drafts, um, in February NFBC draft. So we're looking at like pretty recent ADP data. Um, and I just don't, I just don't see it. I, th- I think that he is continuously, uh, being overlooked Wilson Contreras continuously being overlooked. Um, and I, I kind of like, I really like him, um, as a fantasy asset. Uh, We're going to get into the the guys at the top and why uh, you and I both believe that Adley Rutschman has taken over the crown as the top catcher. But before we do that, Thursday night is another chance to watch a new chapter in college basketball history when Caitlin Clark chases down the all-time NCAA scoring record when Iowa hosts Michigan. Uh, Coverage of the Big Ten matchup begins at 7.30 Eastern time exclusively on Peacock, so make sure you tune in to check out that history-making performance. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well
0: then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite
1: either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. She is
0: is ridiculous. Oh, Clark. I'm lucky that um, I work with Andy Behrens, who's an Iowa guy which means I always have the in on on the next tight end star. You know, he told me to draft Matt LaPorta (laughs) and everything, George Kittle, all those guys, but TJ Hawkinson. But he got me clued in when Caitlin Clark was a freshman. He's like, yeah, we we have this girl on our team, uh, Caitlin Clark, who's going to be a superstar. And she pretty much was from day one. She continued to get better. Obviously, she came back this year. She could have gone pro. She decided to stay in. They lost in the finals last year. I think to LSU, I, they'll be one of the. They'll be in the final four again this year. She is fabulous. She's athletic she's great she's her shoot her shooting range is basically the parking lot i mean she'll right. stick logo she'll stick logo threes
2: uh, i was gonna say it's the it's that steph curry thing where like if there if she gives if she's given a little bit of space mm-hmm. once she crosses half court she could pull that from from anywhere um and that's always exciting to watch as a, yeah, that's a great fan it's curry's like, a great really comp know. for
0: her because she's she's just such a creative player she's like a dreamer out there you give her some space you can get to the rim she's she's still a team player if somebody's getting open shots, she'll, she'll pass the ball too, even though most possessions are going to be routed through her. But it's not like she has to jack up shots all, every time. I mean, I think about what, what about basketball depresses me. It's like the James Hardenization of basketball. I'm just going to sit here and dribble and nobody move. And, you know, we'll try to make it look like I got fouled when I really didn't. And that makes me want to cry. And then I see people who play basketball the way Steph Curry does or the way Caitlin Clark does, and I'm like, oh, it's a great day to be a basketball fan. So yeah. make sure you check out that game on Thursday.
2: Um, speaking of just kind of like taking things to the next level um, and these rising stars, we, we both feel like the crown for catcher is now Adley Rutschman's. Um, I'll let you talk about why. I will just say I still value JT Riamuto. I don't know that he's a target of mine in drafts, um, but I, I think I heard um, Justin Mason use the term "soft decline" when he was talking about JT Realmuto, and I feel like that makes sense to me. That like I don't think he's in the midst of like a precipitous drop. I do think we're seeing a decline for JT Realmuto, but I think that he'll still be useful for you as a as a fantasy asset. It just depends with where that ADP is and if he's going to make up for that value. But I still think you're looking at a 250 hitter who can hit, you know, 15 to 20 home runs and steal 15 bases. Um, he was the only catcher last year to steal at least 15 bases. Um, I would expect he's the only catcher this year who will steal 15 bases. Um, so I think there is true five category contribution from Real Muto, which makes me like him still. But for me, I, I, I just think Adley Rutschman, even if you're not getting the speed, even if he steals, you know, four bases, five bases, I think what you're getting in the other four categories is is so valuable, um, and I assume you agree. For sure, uh, entering into his age 26
0: season, the lineup around him is loaded. He, he's good at everything. He hits lefties. He hits righties. He's obviously a switch hitter. He he hits for average. He hits for um, for power. He last year's OBP was 3.74, which is outstanding for any player. It, it's ridiculous for a catcher. His walk strikeout rate was almost one-to-one, and anybody who can do that in today's baseball, especially if they still have power. It's only if you do it and you're a punch-and-judy hitter, but he does it with the ability to hit the ball over the fence. And perhaps the cherry on top of the sundae, because, again, the skills are here, the rate stats are here, the pedigree. I mean, he was a star in college. He was, I think, the number one overall pick in his draft class. But Baltimore understands how valuable he is, and when he doesn't catch, he DHs. And that's why last year he got to play 154 games. He got to get 687 plate appearances. You're not – real Muto might do that. I mean, I know we talked about Sal Perez playing a lot with the Royals, but we have a player in Rettman entering his peak years, surrounded by a loaded supporting cast, hits lefties, hits righties. His slash line is, is going to be through the roof in all three categories. I, I know the slugging could come up a little bit from last year, but – and he's at the time where – Age twenty six season. This is when people have their peak seasons. I I, I think he right now. I, I'm curious to see what his MVP odds are because I think Baltimore could easily be one of the. They could be ready to have rip off like a hundred and five wins or something like that. And even though there's a ton of young talent, and Richmond's certainly not alone in being an ascending talent here, and they they have such a loaded farm system. And it, it's just. You'll get this team. It's just a fun team to watch. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I grew up. I've been a Red Sox fan my whole my whole life, and I think I want to. I think I want the Baltimore Orioles season ticket, and not the the Red Sox season ticket. As far as what games I watch, because the Red Sox are just depressing me, pretending like they're one of the smaller market teams in the league. But uh, Adley Rushman's going to win an MVP some year, and why not this year? This guy does everything well.
2: Yeah, he, he's great. Um, I think there has been pushback on, on plate appearances, but like you, I I think like if you're the Baltimore Orioles and you decide, okay, Adley's not gonna catch today, your choice at DH is like Adley Rutchman or Ryan O'Hearn. And I know Ryan O'Hearn was really good last year. Um he's thirty years old. He is was a fringy prospect who never quite developed for the Royals and he had a great year. For the, for the Orioles, but, like, I don't. I just don't know that you're taking Adley Rutchman out of the lineup so that you can play Ryan O'Hearn. Like, you may do it every now and then just to give Adley, like, a full day off, but I, I still just don't see a world where, when he's not catching, he's sitting the vast majority of the time. Um, so I don't see a huge reason why the play appearances should drop a lot. I mean, maybe they drop a little bit from last year because um, I think that was, like, the most played appearances for catchers ever. Um, but, but I still think you're getting tons of plate appearances. Um, he's the opposite of Sal Perez in terms of, like, because his plate discipline is so good, the Orioles sometimes hit him second in the lineup, and then he gets tons of runs scored because he's getting all those guys, the, the really uh, strong hitters uh, behind him. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. The only decision you have is, again, whether you feel like drafting him where he's going, um, in February NFBC drafts, he's going 48th overall. And again, these are two catcher formats, and so that's why um, he's pushed up like that. But that's around the range of like your Randy Rosarena, Tarek Scubel, Josh Hader, Yoan uh, Duran, Emmanuel Classe. So it's like you may be in a position where you're like, "Am I getting my stud closer, or am I taking Adley Rutschman?" And that's a build question that you need to ask yourself. Um, I. I feel like for FOMO reasons, I'll take Adley Rutschman at, like at least once. But generally speaking, my strategy would be to kind of pass and and get solid value somewhere else. And that's no knock on him. Um, I think that he's a tremendous asset for fantasy. Yeah, the only reason I would even
0: say to not prioritize him is because if this Wilson Contreras discount, which right yes. now is happening in both NFBC and Yahoo leagues. As long as that's in play, and I think that bubble will burst at some point, and we'll laugh about it on Twitter in a month. Like when Wilson Contreras was just a giveaway, and then the market corrected itself. And that's, that's one of the cool things about the NFBC ADP. And also on Yahoo, you can look at the ADPs by range, by you know last seven days and stuff like that. Just w- look for the Wilson Contreras ADP to percolate up. Yeah. I'm generally Eric, not somebody who goes for a vanity catcher. I'm generally somebody who not takes doesn't mm-hmm. take the first catcher or the first tight end for that matter. But the thing with if you're gonna do that, you have to tell yourself a story with Rutschman that you think he's gonna play 150 games again. Because he only makes sense of that ADP if they're giving him all those extra DH at bats, and he can give if, if he was a 135, 140 game player, I don't think you can take him there. But if they're gonna give him another 154 games and those 687 played appearances, as you talked about, it's not just that he's playing, he's batting second. And right. so the cycles through, he gets that extra at bat really good pieces around Gunnar henderson in front of him you know it's, it's a deep lineup it, it's i think they right now have the best team on paper in the american league east so maybe part of it is the fomo as you mentioned it and, and here's another thing too i mean okay people might be like well fomo you shouldn't draft that way it's like well eric i'm, I'm gonna be in a bunch of leagues i'm in home league sure. industry leagues i will have adley Rutschman on one team because if yeah. this is gonna be his season I'm not sitting it out man I'm gonna and yes. if that means I overdraft him or I overpay for him in a salary cap league uh, we have a choice in a, in a keeper league where we can keep him Where I, it's, it's kind of borderline what we have to give up to keep him so maybe I'll just do it there so I, I don't even have to play the guessing game in draft but if you're in multiple leagues and I know some people out there might be in one league and that's a different dynamic right. if you're in the industry you're not always going to be in multiple leagues just mm-hmm. Don't, don't miss out. Don't go over Richmond this year. It's not going to be fun.
2: Yeah. If you're in super high stakes leagues, you know, drafting for FOMO purposes in a league with a huge buy-in is maybe not the way to go. I'm talking about more like when you're diversified across a bunch of leagues. I'm in sure. AL this year. So it's not only an AL only league, but an OBP <laughs> league. So that may be a format where I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm going for it. Um, who really knows? But, but yes, uh, I wouldn't force it, but I think it's valuable in certain uh, formats. Uh, Just some names to consider as we wrap up the show here. If you are doing um, a two-catcher league or if you are doing kind of draft-and-hold formats, guys who um, are kind of outside of our top 20 who remain intriguing. We talked about Austin Wells. Um, We talked about Rene Pinto. Uh, I will say Connor Wong from the Red Sox is another guy who should get consistent playing time um, and has a little bit of pop in his bat. Um, Travis Darno will still play. So if you're in draft and hold formats, um, he remains a a solid player in general. Um, Jan Gomes appears to be the starting catcher for the Cubs still was actually pretty solid last year in his first year with the Cubs. So again, deeper formats. Um, And then uh, we talked about Salvador Perez. If they're going to give him a break, Uh, Freddie for was pretty good last year for the Royals. So again, in deeper formats, Um, he's somebody to keep an eye on. Um, and yeah, Ryan Jeffers. We mentioned Christian Vasquez is sharing some time with him in the Twins. Uh, behind the plate for the Twins. I almost said backfield, like we're doing uh, fantasy football. Um, so those are some names to watch. And then just based on ADP, the guys Scott and I talked about. We obviously mentioned the the draft discount on Wilson Contreras. If you're in a one catcher league and you're waiting till the end. Uh, based on Scott and my rankings, the guys who are going super late in draft right now who could be one catcher league viable at the end of drafts. Um, you're looking at Kybert Ruiz. You're looking at Logan Ohappy, You're looking at Gabriel Moreno. Um, you're looking at Francisco Alvarez, unless you're from in a league with people from New York, and then he is not lasting that long. Um, and then Bo Naylor would be another guy who's lasting late in drafts. Oh, and Mitch Garver. Um, is also lasting late in drafts currently based on ADP. Um, Guys who in one-catcher formats uh, would be some targets at the end. Um, So again, make sure to listen to all of our position previews on the Road to World Baseball Show. Uh, We will continue this next week as we continue going through the rest of the infield. Uh, You can check out Scott and I uh, in our writing both on Twitter or X. I am at Samsky NYC. Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski. Um, and we will check you on the next episode of the World to World Baseball Show.
0: You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well, then you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for
1: yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up?